When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Hello, good evening and welcome to this week's More Liver podcast, the only rugby podcast that gives you the news, views and opinion on the weekend's rugby action, all with a West Country accent. You can find us on Twitter, we are at More Liver Podcast, we are More Liver Rugby Podcast on Facebook. You can find all of our uh, podcasts, etc. on um, Anchor, as well as Apple Pods and Spotify and lots of other podcatchers. If you're not sure, then uh, check out our Twitter and you'll soon find us. Um we are the the West Country rug, Rugby podcast that likes to give everything a little bit of a comedic view, but more of a opinion based than than any sort of rational journalistic intention. Um, I'm joined by regular uh, co-host and all round um, Twitter nice guy Ben Eustace. How you doing, Ben? I'm good, thank you. Oh, Twitter nice guy, I like that. Yeah, well, and and Phil's disappeared somewhere. I don't know where he's gone, so hopefully he'll be back in a minute. Um, I'm, I'm still here, you just can't see me. Oh, good. Well, Phil, you are here, so there he and is. also, obviously, the handsome one, and we couldn't see him then for a minute, Phil Elkins, at Phil Farm Vet, who's no longer a farm vet. Indeed. Indeed. But he does have lovely wood beams in his ceiling. It's hard hey. work, that one, stripping and painting hey. them. He does, and they are, and they are even better in person. Um, and you might eagerly admit, listeners, um, have heard that voice once or twice before. Um, the voice behind uh, at Driving Mall, it's uh, Paul Baines. How you doing, Paul? Yeah, good. Thank you. Good. Thank you. So yeah, podcatchers with hands as solid as Phil Dolman's, eh? Hands as solid as Phil Dolman's. I like that. <laughs> um, although you know, Phil Dolman's days. A pretty limited with uh, with the introduction of Stuart Hogg. Um, obviously, Paul, you're here to uh, to give your expert view 
with the the expat down in New Zealand. Uh, how how's I mean, it been for you the last few days? I mean, how, what is Phil? I mean, what is Stuart Hogg doing playing Premiership rugby already? I mean, he's only just finished Rugby World Cup. I mean, well, player welfare. He didn't really he didn't really do much in the Rugby World Cup, did he? Let's be honest. Well, there is that true, but <laughs> they, I'm amazed to see the Rugby World Cup. There's some of the internationals back already for the domestic action. I must yeah, say. Well, there's, there was, there's a few, isn't there? I mean, I noticed uh, there was a couple of the Fijian lads that have, that have been playing, and you know, most people that have gone out in the group stage are, are almost back in already, aren't they? You know, so much for five weeks off. I, eh? um, yeah. no, it's been to, to be fair, the, the the Kiwis down here have been really kind of nice about it. Um, it helps. That's disappointing. Well, it it helps that they 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 got beaten, didn't they? They didn't lose the game. They got well and truly beaten, and that's and and. and they go, yeah, we got beaten by the better team of the day. There's, you can't say such and such dropped the ball over the line or something. Um, as uh, a mate tweeted, he said, look, even this try we scored, they gave us. Um, so, yeah, they, they, they know. They, 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 they know that they weren't, they weren't, up, they weren't um, as good in the day. And, that, and that's pretty refreshing, isn't it? You know, the honesty, you know, it would be hard to hide from that, I guess, if for anybody that actually watched the game. But, uh, yeah, Ben. Probably helps you've won the last two as well. Yes, and um, there is. Uh, so the... <laughs> it makes it a little bit easier to be magnanimous, doesn't it? <laughs> as uh, as um, uh, Johnny's a South African that's on my that's been on my show recently. He's he's like, it must be easy being an All Black stand because you always win. And then they're like, well, yeah, until now, kind of. <laughs> Yeah, and and we'll we'll come on to the to the All Blacks uh, uh, in a little bit with regards to, you know, their I said preparations to the World Cup, but their last couple of years, you know, defeats to Ireland, you know, the 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 drawn series with the Lions, they you know they they've not been kind of as dominant um, as they have been in the lead up to other World Cups, which has led to some questions being asked about. Um, Steve Hansen's coaching, but we'll we'll come on to that in a, in a few minutes. Let's first uh, celebrate the England performance, the England victory. Um, yeah, little, let's all do a little dance. But, so I'm, but, I'm used to YouTube, so, so it's not great podcasting. I, I admit, <laughs> but the um, it all started with the uh, ducks fly together, didn't it? The flying V, the hacker. Something a little bit different, you know. I think it's been done once before. Did the French? Was the French did put the V formation in? Um, We've seen the V before, it, but we've not seen it that way round. No, that's right. Yeah, yeah rather than like a spearhead. Hmm. I, um, so I, you've heard the V point, haven't you? Yeah. Go on, Phil. I was going to say they they did a very good job. It wasn't the people will talk about the formation. The formation was largely irrelevant. What was important was the mentality of those England players. Um, and Farrell was the one they pick up on with a little smirk, but Manu's there having a smirk as well. Dan Cole looks completely bemused. You've got Kyle Sinclair doing a little dance to himself. There's obviously a bit of uh, lift music going on in his head. And they've obviously put themselves in a psychological position where they've gone, they're going to do their little thing. Let's just leave them to it and concentrate on us. Um, and... I'm pretty sure it's the same for every team that plays New Zealand. I'm pretty sure none of the war dances that happen anymore for New Zealand, Fiji, Tonga, Samoa, whoever, actually make that much of an impact in the same way 
It doesn't make an impact that Ireland sing twice. It's just part of the game. It's a bit of psychological mind games, but... Yeah, go on, Paul. It is, it is part of the game, I agree, but it, it definitely, to, to me, it definitely has an impact on... Because players are so um, regimented in their processes. Um, there's so much kind of... This is I do, th- I do this X amount of time before the game. I do this, then I do this, then I do this, and I do it exactly the same every single day or every single game. That this is different. It makes them think it's one more decision. It's one more thing they have to think about. So there is an advantage to the sides who do it regularly, because the other side it, it's only a, and it's only a, a tiny thing. It's not a big a big advantage, but I do think it's it is, is, a, is a small advantage. You, you say that you say that though, but it's only New Zealand that anybody ever sort of I say moans about it. You know, Fiji, Tonga, Samoa. You know, with the greatest of respect, are not elite world-class sides um when they do the hacker no one kind of walks towards them nobody does anything really different to though to their to their challenge it's just because new zealand have been so bloody good over well almost forever that uh that teams almost are, are trying to get a bit of one-upmanship ben yeah <clears throat> the hackers um just brilliant theater isn't it and i think a response to it in, increases the theatre. Um, and it, I don't think anyone's got a problem with a hacker. It's more the sort of slightly prissy attitude to it. So you're not allowed to advance beyond halfway. You're not allowed to do this. You're not allowed to do that. I think the team should be able to do within within um, the realms uh, of decency what they want. Imagine um, well, imagine if the t- imagine if a team circled the hacker, right? I saw, I've just seen this on Twitter. Somebody suggested it. Now, England, it's been announced this evening that England have got a four figure fine. You know, two and a half thousand dollars, I think you mentioned yeah. potentially. £12.95. £12. £12. So, two, two, two and a half thousand is what France got fined, and it's apparently less than that. Because, let's be honest, I mean, they were, they were, well, two, two and a half thousand, sorry, um, dollars. So, apparently, it's less than that. Because, let's be honest, the French one, they actually went face to face, nose to nose. And, I have seen situations where it practically breaks out into a fight or it does break out into a fight before the game's even started. We don't want that to happen, let's be honest. Um, no, and, and what, what, they've been fined, what they've been fined for is um, one or a couple of the England players happen to step over the halfway line. It's, the, the fine is six of them, apparently, stepped over the halfway line. But the fine, the fine shows how little actually anybody cares about this um yeah. in respect to our, our pacific island listeners uh all zero of them um obviously tonga samoa fiji their their war dances are not known as the hacker let me just put that in before we get shit thrown at us um campesi 91 world cup he uh just ignored it and went off and did a bit of kicking practice by himself in the in the backfield i i seem to recall that Paul, when you say about the French getting fined, was that in the the final in New Zealand in 2011? Yeah, that's one. My recollection of watching that is the New Zealand crowd loved it. Oh, and you're right. Yeah, the the, the, the yeah. actual people enjoy it, um, and it, it's fine. I, I'm just have it. But I say there, there have been school ones, there have been rugby league ones where it it literally ends up being a mass brawl before the game even Kicks starts. And um, so I think having some sort of distance just to stop that happening. Um, and one of the things you've seen before, and, and New Zealand have stopped doing this now, but they used to stand there and basically they would stare at each other until, and, and one of the teams had to turn away. 
and that they were seen as the losing team. Whereas New Zealand now give a quick look and walk off. Um, so they've they've de um, whatever escalated the, the the situation. But yeah, you used to just have them both staring at each other for like ten minutes. Like guys, come on, let's get on with the game, please. Yeah, let's um, play some rugby. Uh, so yeah, that one in Cardiff was a lot of fun. I, I, I though, enjoy it. Don't get me wrong, but uh, but but I do think there's an advantage. But Paul, you know what you said about it kind of breaks the routine. It's something else for them to think about. That's no different from ITV getting their their advertising schedule wrong and having to hold the kickoff until you hear about the new Vauxhall hybrid car or whatever. Oh yeah, absolutely. It, it, it's or you get a royal that comes along and shakes everybody's hands. It's they these guys are professionals. It really shouldn't make that much of a difference. And I think anybody who builds it up to be anything more than what it was, which was. New Zealand doing what they always do and England trying not to let it psychologically affect them is bonkers. But I think, I mean, don't get me wrong, I, I don't think it should be banned. I enjoy it and I think it should happen. Um, but And I think by England doing what they did, the doing, by doing something different, again, it makes the All Blacks have to think um, mm. and it, it knocks them out of their routine slightly. So I do think, yeah, doing if someone does something different every single time, then... It, it, it loses its impact. But you look at that, you look at the other one was um, Chicago, where Ireland did the figure of eight. Um, and uh, in, in response. Um, so, yeah, I think those things, I think it, it works to counteract it. Um, and I think it was, I think it was, it, it was good. Uh, that they, they kept a good distance. Sure, they crossed the line, yeah. but so what? They still kept but, Exactly. And they kept, they crossed the line. But they they crossed the line, flanked out quite a distance away yeah. from where the guys were there. It, it's you know it's just world rugby being world yeah. rugby at the moment, isn't it? Really, it's one of those things. And you say you, I mean, you see the fans loved it. I mean, there were a couple of fun tweets like they were pointing the way to the try line, um, things like that, which I thought was funny. <laughs> How did that which, work which, out? which must have been really <laughs> funny until ninety eight seconds came past. Um, so yeah, let's let's talk about that then. I mean, England's over the last probably eighteen months or so, England have almost become notorious for their fast starts in games, early scores, and uh, this this was no different. I mean, ninety eight seconds for for Manu to go over, but it was the it was the intensity, it was the way you know, it was the way England controlled matters right right from that first whistle that that got them there, Phil? Um, yeah, I can completely agree. And it has become a facet of their game. But there's been a few games this year, um, and I'm trying to think of, of examples. I think probably the Wales game in the Six Nations um, and maybe one of the Wales warm-up games where they went back, reverted back to type of playing fairly um, reserved, controlled rugby for the first 20 minutes or so. Um, and I'm so glad they didn't do that in this game. I'm so glad they came out and effectively gave Elliot Daly the free will to to go and take on Moonga on the outside, which ultimately set up the try um, and a really good try and a really well well taken try. And it it kind of set the tone for the rest of the first half in terms of possession and play. Um, but yeah, I think that's the kind of England that we all like seeing rather than the the controlled one of 2018 where it was all about grinding people down for 60 minutes and then trying to to get the points in the last 20. I think we all like the England that comes out and goes, we're going to try and get 10, 15 points up in the first 20 minutes. 
Yeah, it was it was certainly front foot. And uh, do you think you potentially caught New Zealand off guard a little bit, Paul? Um, yeah, possibly. Um, but I think I think it's a trend we're seeing across international rugby. I mean, Wales did it to Australia, um, came out and did that, uh, got the early drop goal, uh, and this it's become a bit of a, bit of a old style cliche. But New Zealand haven't come back and scored many tries in the last twenty like people suggest is their style, because that's always been the thing. Oh, they bring on their bench and they blah, blah, blah. They've not done it this year. Um, I mean, they, they took a lead. They uh, came back um, for a draw in Wellington. So um, I think probably South Africa is probably the only team left now who tries to tie you out and then win it in the last 20. I think everybody else tries to come out and get that first score on the board and play scoreboard pressure because that works just so well. But there's a difference between coming out and trying to get scoreboard pressure with a penalty or a drop goal or something like that and actually going all out for a try, which is what England seem to have been doing this year. Uh, and I really like that. Uh, I get the whole, let's keep the scoreboard ticking over. Um, I think Ben would agree with me. Doug's a big fan of a drop goal. Um, but actually, you know what, first five, ten minutes, let's go all out and try and get a try. I've, I've got no issues with that. No, and you can't. I think everyone tries to get that first score on the board now. I think there was a massive psychological advantage by doing that. And then, and I think what we saw with England and I think also with Wales is that it's pretty much kind of like, okay, guys, the first five plays that um, are going to be this, and it's a very this is this is what we're doing. You walk on the pitch. This is what you're doing for the first five plays, um, and then after that, you, we have on-field decisions. Uh, coached. Maybe overcoached, but it does mean that that um, that you get those kind of re- results like like the two lang try. I think. Where, do you think, everyone comes do you think on. that was? Do you think that was pre-planned? Do you think that line that that run from from Daly and that angle out wide was was pre-planned? Absolutely, they were looking to. They were looking to. It's one of the things that we've been talked about, and, and one that um, on my show, and one of the things that John's been saying is that South Africa failed against. New Zealand in the opening game because they couldn't get the ball and they couldn't isolate Manu, uh, couldn't isolate um, Moanga. Um, England looked at where he defends, went for him early on. Um, I, I think yeah, take it to one sideline at Moanga, take it all the way back to the other sideline. I think that that was a pre-planned move. Yeah, Ben. <clears throat> um, I think England have almost since sort of Jones has been there. They've they've played in that sort of high tempo heavy ball carrier mode that they 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 did on Saturday in fits and starts probably six or seven occasions you've they've started a game or come out from half time in a game and you've gone oh they look pretty amazing here but it's tailed off in the game whereas in this match they came out started like they did against Ireland and then just maintained it through the whole game um and it was very much a kind of English style of high tempo rugby. It was a lot of heavy ball carriers, and 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 when they got quick ball, they looked very dangerous. Um, so it was it was a style that they've probably worked on before, but they've not been able to maintain it. And whether that's because they've now settled on a slightly more mobile back row that can secure the ball a little bit quicker, or just because you know they they're just playing better at the moment, I don't know, but. I think you're right. The the ball to daily to take on, you know, out wide earlier was was a, a sort of great statement of intent. And then 
Watson sort of made the most of it. And from there, the, the score looked on from there. Yeah, def- definitely. Um, well, uh, one of the things we've talked about with, with New Zealand is that they, we've, we've seen bits of play that they've been doing, and then it gets put in the locker and saved through every World Cup. So I don't know if there's been an element of that as well, that Eddie's gone, okay, guys, the first 20 minutes we're going to try this, and then we're going to start playing like this. And then has it been put in the locker? Has it been saved, kept out of the analyst's camera's view? Well, we, we talked we talked about this previously, haven't we, around all these things that Eddie's tried over the last four years. And then, you know, he started with, with Ford Farrell. He, uh, they won that Six Nations. They went to Australia. They absolutely pummeled Australia into oblivion. And then he kind of moved away from it a little bit. And he went back to, he went to Farrell at 10 and he tried different things. And then when Tuolangi was fit and he brought Tuolangi in and he played Ford Farrell Tuolangi for a little while. And then it all, it's, it's almost been that constant evolution, not revolution. Um, <laughs> that, that he's gone, right. Okay. Like you say, we'll put that in the locker. That's, that's what I know can work in certain situations. And what I've really liked about Eddie Jones's tenureship, and in hindsight, which is obviously a wonderful thing, is is the ho- potentially the horses for courses approach. It's the um, it's the backing of himself to make those important decisions when when the time is right, like starting Farrell against um, Karevi in the in the quarterfinal and going right. Okay, well let. It's not. It's not about not trusting George Ford. It's about doing the right thing for the game that's in front of us and the game we think that Australia are going to play. And you've just got to look at the start England made on Saturday with Ford and Farrell working in tandem, and then the way they dominated the kicking game, which just sort of put the All Blacks in, into submission. And it, I've got a, I've got an article that I'll that I'll go through in a minute where it 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 details all of the sort of few of the yardage stats and the tackles and the offloads, but most of if not all of what New Zealand did was in their own half, coming from their own sort of line. Ben, yeah, I think I think we might want to be careful not to sort of um, sort of make Eddie Jones a sort of cross between. Moriarty and Ming the Merciless you know (laughs) what a great analogy that is I'm not sure you know you know three years ago he was sort of saying right well we've 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 hit Wales hard for 20 minutes let's ease off now and but he's a very good coach and and the people that were calling him clueless two years ago you know they they should have been more careful as well he's a very good coach he's ambushed New Zealand before in a semi-final and I thought there were some you know some good touches there that he brought in, um, you know, bringing Ford back was a masterstroke because I thought he was brilliant. Um, I noticed in the first half they were making a lot of double tackles to avoid offloads from the New Zealand ball carriers. I thought that was a feature. And he had, you know, I mean, t- Moanga must still be seeing Tuolangi in his sleep because Tuolangi was just stood in his pocket every time he looked to pass. Uh, it was all over the rush, wasn't he? Yeah, it was just like charge out, block that outside pass. Once he took the interception, he got into the into the head of the New Zealand distributors. Um, you know, it was just um, you know, just some nice touches, and and he's a very good coach. He obviously does his homework, and you know that's why they paid him the money. 
Yeah. I, we've talked now so far about sort of Ford, Farrell, Tuolangi, Daly. We've mentioned Watson. And those guys were the icing on the cake. This game was won by the forwards on the game line. In the fact that New Zealand just New Zealand couldn't get over the game line, which is what made them play for the row and half. And when you're going backwards, it's hard to play rugby. And so they were making so, many yards so, after contact, weren't they? Mm, yeah. So, so when you when you look at the tactical decisions that Jones has made, you have to flip that on its head and look at the tactical decisions that Hansen's made. Um, and when you're up against Underhill and Curry, picking a second row at blindside flanker is a mistake. And I think it was fairly well proven to be a mistake. Yeah, Barrett looked all right when he got that that ball and needed a couple of kind of showboaty type things, but they lost every single battle in contact. They lost every single ground battle. We were putting one in, sometimes two in, to secure the ball. They were getting the ball and going backwards and having to put two or three in to secure it. If if you have Sam Kane on from the start, I think momentum's a little bit different. That's not to say we wouldn't have won, because I still think we should... That I think that England performance and that England team against any team from the last... Yeah, let's go balls out for the last ten years. Would probably have won. I think it was it was that kind of perfect storm of everything coming together. Um, but I think it would be it would have been a much different game if they had gone with a bit of a ground battle. Absolutely. I mean, they went for an aerial battle at the lineout, and Steve Borthwick required, um, should take a lot of credit here for the lineout work he's done because England didn't lose because the they still lost they they still lost the lineouts so. and they lost the lineout. Yeah. They went, they went with four jumpers at the line-out um, uh, with the idea that England only have two and that they would, yeah, basically steal the ball. And that, that was their type of kick out, steal the ball, kick out again, and that's how I marched downfield. It didn't work. Um, no. Whoever called, whoever was, whether it's a Toji or Courtney Laws, I've, I've, heard, I've heard both names be mentioned as being the line-out caller, so I've got no idea who it is. They did a great job. Um, and New Zealand then didn't adjust to the fact that they weren't winning the line-out. I had a uh, a conversation in our uh, I'm part of a fantasy rugby draft group with with Ali Stokes and a, and a few other guys who were were very surprised that you know against a New Zealand side who have dominated the the line out and have, have got the likes of Ritalik and Whitelock and Barrett um, as they picked and Kieran Reid as well that you know it was a surprise that england didn't go with with george cruz because he you know is tended to lead that line out over over the the most recent history um you know again it, it's one of those tactical battles where can you make it more difficult for yourselves by by overloading it in that situation if England, you keep you keep the line out simple you keep a set piece simple like that and you you focus entirely on securing your own ball if you've got four if you've got four jumpers even in defense you you you're potentially making it a little bit more difficult for yourselves because you've only got a certain amount of lifters you well, can't have two lifters for every jumper can you yeah yeah you're right you don't have eight lifters um you, you're perfectly right russ the other thing to consider is you get what 20 lineouts in a match and you get what 200 How many runs? In, a, yeah. in, a, in a match like you've, you've got to think about what's important you see it all the time at shit level of rugby where the forwards in a training session they'll spend 20 minutes doing scrums and 20 minutes doing lineouts for 
15 occasions throughout a, a, a match and won't even think about any rocking or mauling or anything like that. Depends on the handling of your backs, doesn't it, really? Yeah. Might be a lot, yeah. might be a lot of scrums. Um, yeah, exactly. Um, and, and very quickly before, because I, I can see Ben with his hand up wanting to talk, um, the other thing tactically, tactically from New Zealand, we discussed it with Ireland probably, oh, maybe coming into the Six Nations, something like that, that they'd worked a way to play and a very successful way to play. Um, I think it might have been England, Ireland and Six Nations, I can't remember, or Wales, Ireland. But when they come up against something that counteracts that way to play, they kept doing the same things. There was no, they never changed what they were doing. They have this ingrained belief that what they're doing is the right way to do it. And even when you go in at halftime, 10 nil down, and realistically it should probably have been 20 nil down, they came out in the second half and kept doing the same things all over again. Yeah, uh, what, I, what I was just going to say is is perhaps the most sort of triumph of all the sort of tactics was was Curry and Underhill. Um, Cunderhill, because, Cunderhill, please. Yeah. Um, well, Cunderwood, yeah, Cund- 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 as, um, as, 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 as Jones um, put on the, in, in the Times. <laughs> well, I, I was going to say Cunderson because Wilson came on and made a turnover as well, didn't he? But, um, you know... I think sometimes if you go with two sort of sevens in inverted commas, you, you lose a bit in your carrying and your tackling. Um, but with these two, especially because um, Underhill's such a heavy tackler, you, you don't really get that um, that problem. But, you know, one thing that New Zealand are known for a lot of the time is scoring either side of half time. And, um, you know, they had two promising attacks either side just of half time. One was stopped by a, a turnover by... Um, Underhill and one was what stopped by a turnover, one by Curry. So, you know, that that knocked that sort of surge New Zealand have completely off off the table, really. Um, and then you obviously we we've all seen the the hits that um Underhill put in. And you know, the the one on Barrett in the twenty-two, that that was that could have been a real problem for England. They'd had a try disallowed. New Zealand got up the end and uh, the other end and got a gift of a try. And then that that big tackle from um Underhill just swung the momentum back. So, you know, those those guys played a key role. You know, Atoje was great as well at the at the breakdown, but um, you know, that's that's getting pretty um regular now. Well, that's the other side on the carrying is you've got second rows who always put their hands up and carry, but you've also got Mako, Jamie George, and Carl Sinclair, who do yeah. more than their fair share of carrying. So you're not relying on your back row for carrying. Mm-hmm. And you've got and you've got a decent option in midfield as well for a heavy carry. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. I mean, you've just got to look at the way that Curry and Underhill performed against Pocock and Hooper the week uh, a couple of weeks before against Australia. Hooper. And, yeah, Pooper versus Cunderhill. Um, you know, world-class operators, and they absolutely blew blew them away. This week, Surveyor um, and uh, Barrett, you know, a different sort of challenge, a different option. But they just, they absolutely took them to the cleaners. I mean, it's hard its hard to compare. You can't compare them as players, but it's hard to, to, to see uh, England have had a better back row than um, back Hill and Delalio. Is that, is that a fair, not necessarily playing comparison, but, you know, performance level comparison? Yeah, I, th- I think 
Um, I think you're right, but we have mentioned it multiple times before on the pod that it's about balance throughout the whole squad. Um, and if you pick that back row, well, actually, you you got Billy there that makes a big difference. But if you pick that back row, perhaps with a with a scrum with a front five that's a bit less dominant, then they might not look quite so so good. Um, it's yeah, I, I think it's all kind of come together nicely at the right time with players being fit. We've always known Underhill's a, a class player, but he seems to have sorted out his marshmallow shoulders um, and, and kept fit for a reasonable period of time. Same with Billy. Billy's always been a class player, but he's he's been fragile and he's come into a run of fitness at exactly the right time for us. Um, so, yeah, let's, let's take advantage of it while we can. Paul, you wanted to jump yeah, in. Yeah, going, going, going back to your, your thing about um, just playing the same way. Uh, and one of the problems is that Moanga's entire professional career, he's been behind a Rolls-Royce pack. Um, at the Crusaders, he plays on front, with front football 90% of the time, 95% of the time. And the same with the All Blacks. Here he, here he didn't get front football. As you say, he kept turning into and throwing it basically at Tualangi. Um, what he needed to do was to tell his forwards, I don't want this ball. You until you get front football, you just keep picking, pick and go because I'm not having this. Um, but he didn't have the authority or the uh, self belief to do that, and or, or or experience to do that. Um, really, some, something was wrong there. But yeah, it needed someone to tell the forwards stop giving us rubbish ball. So this uh, brings me on to the the point that I kind of alluded to a little a little while ago with regards to um, Steve Hansen's coaching maybe I mean he inherited that side into 2015 from Gray and Henry didn't he that you know it well, was no, he, all... he inherited it in 2012 I mean because sorry yeah, Henry, but, yeah. But, but it was already it was already set and it was established and there wasn't a lot that he had to do with it going into 2015 because you had your likes of um your nonus your comrade smiths your ben smiths your um your Richie McCaws, you know, you, it was there. It, there were little individual tweaks here and there, like just you know, they had Milner Scudder, you had Surveyor, you had uh, Naholos of of this world. But as since 2015, obviously they had the Lions down there in 2017. Um, they've lost to Ireland a couple of times now, and obviously a World Cup semi final. Do you think there's any criticism to be potentially levelled at? Um, Hansen for the way that he's you know potentially shoehorned Bowden Barrett into the 15 jersey rather than playing him in at 10 the way he's he's brought in some of the youngsters I mean um, oh what's the winger's name Reese is it Reese Severice Severice yeah Um, you know uh, playing Moonga Leonard Brown and Goodhue who has got you know, he would fit right in at the Exeter Chiefs, uh, Jack Goodhue, with that lid. Um, I, you know, I thought he was their best player first much. Up, I, Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, yeah. I'm not I'm not criticising him specifically, but, you know, you've got some some excellent players. You know, your best your best player, Bowden Barrett, arguably, is going to be a miles better 10 than he is playing at fullback and a lot more of a, of a danger. I mean, is that something that's been picked up on in, in New Zealand, Paul? No, not particularly. I mean, the there's, if you, I mean, you, you, you say that it was ready-made. So, I mean, 
the scrum halves in 2011 were Jimmy Cowan, Andy Ellis, Piri Wipu. So he's brought through Aaron Smith, T.G. Perinara. Um, again, in the locks, um, Ali Williams, Brad Thorne, Anthony Borick, um, and Sam Whitelock. Now, Sam Whitelock's still there, but all the others have gone. He's brought through Brady Retallick, Scott Barrett. Um, so, no, I think he has brought through through players um, in, in, in that kind of sense. So it, it's... the they, they definitely they definitely did cull a whole bunch of people after 2011 and said, right, you're not going to make the next Rugby World Cup. We're going to bring the new guys through. So um, there, was, there was definitely that. That, that did happen. I mean, uh, other players, Kahui, Richard Kahui has um, also gone, all the wings. So, yeah, it, it's all, there, there has been quite a bit of turnover. Um, the I think what we've seen is two things. One is they were over-reliant on Damon McKenzie. Um, the everything was around Bowden Barrett and Dave McKenzie at 10.15. That was how it was going to work. Uh, and there just aren't players like David McKenzie around no. to replace him. Um, so that was a weakness. And secondly is that whilst the All Blacks have managed to hold on to their 23 on the whole, that next level of player have disappeared. So you've, your Cruden and Sopawanga have both gone, which meant their third choice fly half is um, Joshuaani, who has played, I think, one test match uh, and has got base, got about a year and a half of Super Rugby under his belt. That, the, the depth just isn't there anymore. Um, yep. Is that a consequence of, um, it, it, it looks to me like New Zealand have a bit of a throwaway society when it comes to their, their rugby players, that... You get somebody and they play a handful of games or they play 20 games or, or whatever, they get replaced by the next best thing coming through and then you never hear from them again. Like like your Milner Scudders, like your... Obviously, Sarvea's gone, gone abroad, but um, but they, they get in for a period of time and then when they stop being flavour of the month, you never hear from them again. And does that induce a... a a culture of those players going, I've had my time, I'm going to go and earn some money. You could use like Nigel uh, Laomape as an example of that, who for a little while, I thought he was going to be a one-man wrecking ball. Sorry, Nigel Laomape, did you say? Yeah, yeah. I did did call him Nigel, didn't I? Why did I call him Nigel? I don't even know why that happened. Because it's hilarious. <laughs> that's that's the, that's this evening's um, that's the title. Um, Nigel, yeah, we, yeah. Jesus Christ! I don't even know what was going on. I think it was because I was just reading a tweet about Nigel Owens. Anyway, I'm talking about Lo, uh, Lo Marpe, who was excellent um, in that in the, the some of the games against the Lions, and he was turning out to be he was going to be a like a, a one man wrecking ball. Now, do you think? You know, for someone like him, without being too specific, you know, he's a victim of the way that the All Blacks try and play the game, rather than them adapting to put their best players in the team. If that makes any sense, um, he's a victim of the fact that there's a lot of good centres at the moment um, that, that, that are there now, uh, with with Crotty and Sonny Bill Williams both moving on post rugby World Cup, he will he, he, he will come into it. But he, he's also a, a Mar Nonu person where when Mar Nonu first came on the scene, he did one thing really, really well, and then he develops his game. Uh, I think that's what they're trying to get Lamapi to do. 
<laughs> ben. My, my, my sort of question would be, do you think that they could have done with either Crotty or maybe Ben Smith on the bench? Because Sonny Bill, he almost strikes me, great as he is to watch, as almost a bit of a luxury player. That, you know, you bring him on to sort of put the icing on the cake, whereas Crotty or Smith would be maybe better equipped to change the game slightly, change the way you play, um, perhaps a little bit more sort of thinking rugby players. Do you think that's fair or is that... I'm not sure it would have made a huge amount of difference, but I think they might have just, you know, you, you maybe put Smith at full back and move Barrett to 10 and then I mean, play I, I in a slightly different way. Um, I, I, I don't... I, if you look at what Sonny Williams did against in the 2015 final against Australia, he came on and changed it and made it a comfortable win. So... No, I don't think it's um, fair on him. I think it's fair that they should have had Ben Smith instead of Geordie Barrett. Yeah. Because, um, so to have that experience. Because, yes, if you look at that back line, it's, it, they're, they're all kids apart from Barrett uh, in the starting lineup uh, and, Aaron, um, and Aaron Smith. There's, um, there's no experience. Ha- Hansen's obviously hung his hat on the Moranga Barrett 10 15. Could he not have been playing Barrett Smith? Smith's played more than enough internationals at 15. Um, I think there's a thing right, that, I just... that basically um, Lady Time has caught up with, with Ben Smith a year earlier than, than they wanted. They want yeah. yeah. Well, they, um, on the, um, the all or nothing thing, there was, a, there was a big thing about Ben Smith wasn't there. Because he got his knee injury, didn't he? Yeah, it was, I mean, obviously that was a, a good three Three years ago, the all or nothing. God, my my mind is all over the place. But Lions, Lions tour. It was Lions, two yeah. Years. So two, and he was he was struggling, and and his sort of personal struggles were were there then as well, weren't they? So, um, yeah, I'm I'm concerned we're spending a lot of time talking about New Zealand and haven't really mentioned how great Manu Tuolangi's defence now is. Yeah, I mean, because I don't think there was any, you know, he's he's been. been He's been a tactical liability defensively before, rushing out of the line at the wrong time, not not working with his centre pairing, and this World Cup, it, it it's like somebody's just sat him down for a few days in a in a in a classroom and taught him how to defend as part of a team because it's been immense. Do you not I wish think he'd that said that in a week's time? Yeah. <laughs> um, do Do you not Do you not think though that is an absolute symptom and, and a product of having a sustained level of fitness being part of the team and the squad for a sustained period of time and, and and I think partially having an idea of how they want him to play I think some sometimes historically he's gone out and he's tried to win a game by himself and I think he now understands his role within the team which is you're right it's part it's it's a it's a factor of being part of that team for I don't know how long was he. What was he? Autumn internationals last year. Was he fit for? But yeah, uh, yeah. Possibly, I mean, so let's say, so let's say fifteen. That you're not going to get dropped. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And he knows. I say, you know, if they do change um, the centre partnership or the, the they change uh, the halfback at ten, um, he's not going to be the victim. No. You know, he's not going to be the one that goes, actually, oh, so you're not playing 12 this week, you're going to play 13, rather than, actually, sorry, Manu, you're not, you're not the wrecking ball 
12 you are better than that you you are more to us than that which he clearly is and we all know he is um and and he's finally being utilized in that way talking uh, there of ben saying i wish he said that a week later should we look forward to the final I realize we've been kind of on for nearly an hour. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, well, what we'll do is we'll very quickly we'll we'll just talk briefly about the Wales South Africa game that has had mixed reviews, should we say? Um, Paul's just fallen off his chair. Um, <laughs> I think so. Here's the thing, right? I think it was perfect. It's, wasn't it? a, it's a different. It's a different type of game. It was the way I think we talked about this last week, Phil, when we said that it was the game we were all expecting from Wales versus South Africa. It's the way yeah. both of these teams play. Yeah, um, it was. It was predictable. It was, um, as I say, as an England fan, it was perfect because whichever team won, they were always going to grind themselves down and have a have a real tough old day of it. And scrape through and come through with very little confidence. So, yeah, it's. Um, I'm sure the South Africans will go into the final full of confidence because anybody going into a final does. But uh, it was it was relatively uninspiring. Um, I'm sure Ben would have enjoyed bits of it, but even even the South African try that was just as a result of four yeah. tackles. There was nothing particularly good about it. No, um, absolutely, that was. All- that was awful tackling, wasn't it? Sh- it Sean was Edwards terrible. must have been having kittens. But, I mean, credit where credit's due. Dialende had a fantastic game. Um, you know, and that was effectively South Africa's back line, was just him crashing the ball up straight. Um, but that's but, because you know, you know he's never going to pass it. So, if you have him there, that's the only black, back line you've yeah. got. I mean, you know, he was punching holes. The, the Welsh... Um, for all their effort, just couldn't get through the South African defence, which was, you know, excellent. Um, they're a really big side, aren't they? And, and you know, Wales just, you know, they're, they're, they're two back rowers, great players that they are, aren't the biggest. Um, you know, so it was sort of left a little bit to Moriarty um, and, and perhaps Jake Ball, who's had a pretty decent tournament, to be fair to him. Um, you know, their ball, ball carries in the front row haven't quite got the power that England's have got. Um, and you had two centres who were basically held together with tape, um, yeah. you know, who, who were struggling for fitness. Um, you know, I thought Halfpenny played well for Wales. Scrum Half had a decent game. Um, but, you know, South Africa just kicked with discipline and defended with discipline. And, and you know, oh. they they bought low on at the yeah. end. And you, you knew at some stage he was going to get a, t- a turnover. And, and sure enough, he killed off their last sort of, hope of an attack didn't he and um they played to their game plan didn't they they just played to their game plan and they stuck to it rigidly but when you're attacking against a big side like like south africa what you don't want is two centers in hadley parks and jonathan davis who've got one working leg between them (laughs) it's and and i'm aware of the fact that options are limited but it was it was playing exactly into south africa's game plan now, when you look at South Africa's, the way the South African um, pack set up, for them, it's about the, the physical game and it's about brute force. It's not about necessarily adding that carrying aspect or that mobility aspect. And you just hope looking forward to the final that we can just move them around the park too much. 
it's it's like playing a, a big solid but, front side. You know how to yeah. beat them. Well, I was I gonna... think, I, I, they, they will play a six-two bench, so they will replace their entire front five. Yeah. Uh, if you only have to play sixty minutes or fifty minutes, then uh, you don't have time to tie them out. What I would say is is um, I was going to mention this later when we talk about England's selection, which I'm sure we will do. But I thought South Africa looked pretty narrow at times. Whether that was because they knew Wales were just coming straight at them or or not, but you know, if we are going to move them around, that's going to be the way to do it. Um, but yeah, they they um, were so physical. I mean, did you see? Um, did you see Etzebeth just pick uh, half penny up yeah. <laughs> horizontally yeah. and just carry him? I mean, it yeah. was it was you know it's it's very strong men, aren't they? And you know they 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 they're sticking to their their strengths, and you can't really blame them for that. I felt really oh. sorry for um, Thomas Francis. Oh yeah, because it looked nasty, didn't it? it looked painful because he his backs let him down there, really, didn't they? And you know, Vermeulen just got such a run up that there was <laughs> just, it's just probably one of the last places in the world you want to be with yeah. Vermeulen literally running um, at you in full pate. I mean, it was a great move, South Africa bringing him back um, because he was out of the fold for quite a long time. Um, to be fair, I mean. Phil, I know, I know, uh, you've described him as the third best player in the third best scrum half in the squad, but he he's kicked very well for the last two games, um, Faf. Um, but you know, I think Wales had just come to the end of of what their squad could provide. Really, they they were pretty battered. A lot of their best players were, like you say, on one leg, without you know, without Liam Williams, Falatau never even made it arguably their best two players so you know well, i think they can be pretty proud of themselves um going, going back we to don't that, have to put up with them yeah we don't have to put up with them full stop yeah <laughs> going, going back to the, the faff comment i did um i did ask doug what what he thought about it as a scrum half um but oh, yeah. let's um do you want to clip him in now russ sure yeah you you asked doug about the uh the nine situation didn't you yeah, so I asked him about Ben Young's um, and his game and where he sees Ben Spencer fit, fitting in, plus around why South Africa continue picking their third best scrum half. But I think you pretty much know what I think of Ben Young's. I think he's probably our third best nine, but um, he's doing a job. I just hope that he, he plays more like he did against the All Blacks than he did against... Australia is that that sort of creep across the field coming back into his game, which is a bit of a nightmare. Hopefully, also, I don't think Ben Spencer will actually get on the pitch. I think Youngs will probably play all eighty minutes. So you asked you asked Doug about the England uh, the England scrum half situation. Yeah, um, and and he also came back with a little bit. Um, it's not in that clip about the South African, and apparently they've got an even better scrum half back at home. Who just there's a there's a lot of politics that's gone in around that that South Africa squad and selection that I think is probably far deeper than any of us have the mental um, capability to to get our heads around. Um, from a tactical perspective, though, given the way South Africa play that's the reason they pick Faf because of his kicking because it plays into their hands if you play Cobus Reinach with that South African side rather than the South African side that played somebody in the pools 
Canada. Canada and absolutely tonked them. He's going to be out by himself half the time. He's going to be going off yeah. on a run and 30 yards away from his support. And probably one of those big forwards will clock him after 30 minutes. Just yeah, stop what, running us around. Just, just to get a break. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> just leave the ball in there. Stop running it. <laughs> okay. Well, let's let's move. Let's let's talk about the the final. Let's talk about the the England selection. Paul, you mentioned that South Africa are more than likely going to play a six-two split. They're going to replace their front five. Um, what do England do? Do they do they keep it the status quo from the New Zealand game? There's talk of a couple of of knocks in the camp. Although Eddie Jones has said he's got a fully fit squad to to pick from, um, having replaced Willie Hines with Ben Spencer. Uh, what, in your opinion, what's he going to do? What's he going to do? What do I think? What do I think I would do? What? 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 What's Eddie going to do? First and foremost, I'm not sure what he's going to do, but I, I, I would like to see. I, I, I would probably go ma- ma- match five pound for five pound and go six two. We've got four world class locks. Um, so if Launchbury, I mean, we've not seen Launchbury, so I don't know how he's playing, but if he's training well. Then I would go for four. I, I, I would do the exact same as they do. Go six two with launch Bree. Um, if you want a Toji to do the full eighty, you can always move him to six um, as as a replacement. But I would um, no. I mean, not not as in not starting lineup. But what I mean is in the last twenty minutes, if you want to bring launch Bree on and Curry's looking knackered or um, Billy's looking knackered. You can you, you can you can keep um, Toji on. And I, so yeah, I would go six two. Uh, and look at some, um, because I know that it's going to be an absolute forward battle. They're going to bring, they're going to bring on, they're going to have Snayman. Francois Lowe will be on the bench for the back row option. Yes, Snayman um, Lowe, Mostert on the bench. Yeah, um, with Decock. Uh, De oh no, the ginger guy. Who's the ginger guy? He's going to start, isn't he? Kitchoff will be on the Kitchoff. bench. Kitchoff. Yeah. Kitchoff on the bench. Uh, yeah, Marks yeah. and I've gone blank, but they've got a really. I mean, it, it's it's a it's a very good front row coming off the bench, but then so do we. Yeah, uh, it's just the numbers. Ben? Does does anyone else think South Africa look better when Marks is on the pitch? Yeah, but, but is that because um, they've already been they've, they've, the, the hard work's already been done wearing wearing the po- position down? Possibly, yeah. Um, I think he's I think he's had some issues with his with his arrows, um, mm. and. I think that's a part of the reason why he's ended up on the bench. But yeah, yeah, that, that makes sense. I, I mean, um, for me, go on, but go on, Phil, you go first. No, no, I was, I was just going to say, I, I, I hope that by the time they've switched their six players around, the game's done and dusted. I'm, I'm hoping that, um, like Ben said, they play very narrow. If we can keep it away from, from their big guys, that it will be done and dusted by then. I really don't like the concept of. Uh, moving a Tojo to to six, I'll be honest. Um, I think we've probably got good enough back back row cover anyway. That if you were to do six two, then um, then there are other ways of doing it. The issue with doing six two is if somebody comes up and absolutely flattens, and it's a bit different for England on the assumption they play forward Farrell, which is where I was going to come to. Um, but if they don't, it's a it's a bit different. Um, it, the the challenge with six two is if somebody comes on and absolutely flattens your fly half or your inside centre and takes them out of the game, you then have no more outside back cover. You've only got a nine. Um, 
and that and that can end up leaving you considerably short. Um, my, I, I'd stick with a five three. Um, I see Paul's nodding his or shaking his head at the Ford Farrell thing. Um, I'm assuming for similar reasons where we discussed why you go with a, um, a more solid centre pairing against some solid centre pairings and play Farrell at 10 and presumably Sladen to Alangi 12-13. Um, so, yeah, so I, 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 basically I'd say, look, we, it, they, they, they went Ford, Ford, Manu, Slade, sorry, um, Farrell, Manu, Slade because of Karevi. Yeah. Uh, and Lendy, you've got something pretty similar. So I would say because he did it against Australia, I do the same thing. Uh, I and I and I think he and I think he might well do it, but I don't think it's the right thing to do. This um, may come I as think, a. You, yeah, Ben will agree that he wants to play. Let's, let's yeah. just let's, this, let's this will come as no surprise. I think the 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 point I made earlier about South Africa looking a bit narrow in the last game, I think um, that. When they've got Ford and Farrell in there, they 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 play that that second line of attack very well. So uh, in behind the sort of forwards coming coming through, and then Daly's their sort of playmaker in the sort of second line. Um, and I think they'll try and get get the ball wide quite a lot. The the, the key to this match is going to be getting through the game line. It's the key, it's the key to every match, but I think even more so in this because that South African defence close in is going to be utterly brutal. Um, you know, they in might put England are more likely to cross. They're more likely to cross the gain line further out than they are closer out. in. Yeah. yeah, I think they'll yeah. they'll attack the gain line. You know, around the fringes because they'll have to. Um, and if they can if they can move it back that way, so much the better. But I think they really need the option of hitting them wide. Um, I mean, Ford. I, I tweeted during the game. Are we still saying Ford's a defensive liability? Because I thought he defended really well in this game. Um, so you know, people. People do knock him backwards, but I mean, it's not a big 12 coming through the 10 channel isn't revolutionary. That, that you know, they, they you invented about, You just said it's about getting through the game line, and then you said that Ford gets hit backwards. Nobody's saying he's defensive liability. What he doesn't do is dominate the contact. He's bloody yeah. good at stripping the ball, I'll give you that. But, and, and he makes his tackles. I think if you play Ford Farrell to Alangi, you're relying on Underhill. From from a scrum or whoever from a line out or repeat phase ball getting to Dearlandi rather than him running it forward. Well, yeah, that that's what I was saying basically is that it's not a, a revolutionary tactic. It, you know, when they invented rugby, the next thing they did was send someone at a ten in, in attack. And I think you know the England forwards should be able to help enough that it's not a huge problem. Especially as as, as Paul said, Dearlandi is probably a little bit more predictable than the 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 Australian guy. I think yep. the Australian guy has got a much more of a step, much more of a fend, whereas DLND is your sort of old school straight line crash, you know, sort of Jamie Roberts type. Um, so, yeah, I'd certainly go with um, with Ford and Farrell. Tua Lange speaks for himself. And, you know, I think the back three have gone well enough that um, you, you'd stick with them as well. Um, do you no, think about Jack in the, uh, on the bench? I mean, just, just to clarify, I wasn't suggesting we starting your Toji at six. What I meant was that if you wanted no, to... No, I know, but... Yeah, yeah. He's just saying, no, he's not a six. Uh, <laughs> I, I agree. Okay. Um, the, so, um, but, um, the... I've gone absolutely blank. So, no. <laughs> um, 
so I'm I'm kind of I'm, I'm stuck surprisingly on the fence with this. I don't think um, Eddie Eddie is not picked a five two a six two split as far as I can remember. Um, even when we toured South Africa last summer, my only concern would be those first two tests against South Africa last summer. You know, we we started well, we scored early, and then DLND came right in at Ford in those test matches. Paul? They're at altitude, remember? And yes, they were. Leads. True. Um, but we and still... That, that was a long time ago as well. Yeah, and, it's, and we've changed it. Yeah, we've absolutely. But, you know, you'd hope that there'd be no psychological hangover on that. Um, I think, and I would be more comfortable with him playing the 5-3 split um, with uh, Wilson as as the back row cover, probably, um, who could also potentially slide in his lock if there was an emergency. You know, rather than going the other way around, rather than moving one of the second rows out um, of that of that scenario, uh, so I agree with Ben Ford Farrell to Alagi. Um, I'd have Joseph in the twenty three shirt. I thought um, he obviously had Slade um, at the weekend, and he had Slade and Joseph. Is that right? He had Slade and Joseph because Slade yeah. came on at half time for May, didn't he? Um, and did a decent job at fullback. I just, I just worry, um, I worry a little bit about Slade defensively. Whereas I think Joseph defensively is much, much better. Uh, even though we haven't seen too much of him in this tournament. Uh, so, well, you know, whatever, whatever happens, it's going to be absolutely fascinating. And I'd like to see us. I'd like to see us pull. South Africa around like we did with New Zealand in that first couple of phases on Saturday, where you go all the way to the one side of the pitch, you go all the way back to the other and you, and you, and you try not necessarily to run them off their feet, but you just try and pull them about to create those holes, which then makes their defense a little bit weaker than rather than attacking at the mass. Go on, ben. The other thing I was going to say is both Ford and Farrell have, and daily to a degree of, of, kicked very cleverly in the last two games. They've kind of turned the fullback and turned the wingers, which again is what they want to do, what, rather than just, you know, straight up in the air. Um, I thought a couple of times that LaRue looked a bit wobbly. Um, I think Colby's going to come back by the sounds yeah, of it, so they're going to have to be very so. careful how they kick to him. Um, so, you know, any kicking is going to have to be accurate and and hopefully sort of in behind the opposition rather than sort of inviting them on yeah agree paul yeah so to, i get to well, first off to, to back up ben's comment about the, about the narrowness if you look at how new zealand um got their try against uh, south africa what they did was they had richard moanga playing about 15 meters behind the game line um massive pass back to him crossfield kick to several who was on the wing and because they pl- they play narrow and they rely on the speed of their wingers to cover the gap. That's how they got the ball wide. So you might want to just look at literally as kick passing across the pitch, even laterally, um, just to just to beat, just to get it to that space. But yeah. um, I do have a question for you guys. Why was Jack now picked for this Rugby World Cup squad? 
It's a difficult one, isn't it? I think, I mean, the ankle, the ankle injury that he suffered um, in the Premiership final, he's rec- he's obviously recovered from, but subsequently picked up a hamstring injury as well, hasn't he? So it's 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 unfortunate, I think, more I, than anything. Twenty minutes of rugby. I, I think if he's fit, I think if he's fit, if he doesn't get that hamstring injury, he's on the bench instead of one of Slade or or Joseph. Oh, he's in the twenty-three shirt all this weekend. Every every time because he adds something that nobody else does. Yes, he was carrying an injury and they took a punt on it. They're lucky that nobody else in the back three's got injured, uh, and then that would look like a liability. But um, well, go, this, go this back very. It, it very meant they took to two. They, they carried him, which but to, to, to carry him they took two two fly halves and two scrum halves. Now the fly half you can say look Slade can cover or whatever that was fine, but I think we've been found out. At, at scrum half in the fact that they've not had that third scrum half in the camp knowing all the moves knowing all the all, all, all the calls and I think that's where they've been found out that actually you that they went it, too light there if a scrum half can't play 80 minutes and there's something wrong all they do is and, jump between blocks and they've got but even in that, first, oh, wow. even in that all blacks one um, Ben Youngs was late to the to the to the to the, to the ruck because the ball's out so quick um, yeah the now, part of that was that it was just such good ball. Uh, but the other thing is, if he's going to have to be that quick getting there all the time, he is going to run out of puff. Yeah, I mean, Ben Spencer's has been in and around the squad. I agree with you. You know, I would have, I would have gone with three um, scrum halves. Uh, absolutely, you know, there would be no um, question in my mind. You know, especially when you look at the the back three strength that we've got. You, you know. McConaughey and fucking the Seager have barely uh, have barely touched the ball either. Other than the, you know, the the minnows in the pool stage, you've got Watson that can cover fullback as well as Daly. You know, Slade showed on Saturday that he he did a very similar job. Although you know, New Zealand were in a position where they were chasing the game and they didn't really want to kick it away. Um, so yeah, I think I think you're right, Ben. I think it's a. I think he might have been a little bit pleasantly surprised by how well Watson's played because he was coming back from a real serious injury and I, whether, you know, they might have thought you couldn't guarantee his form. Um, and also, you know, there was the, the um, risk of him breaking down. Um, I think Noel is, is a big favourite of, of Eddie Jones's, And I think the way he played in that premiership final probably got him into the squad and you know maybe if the tournament had gone a, a little bit different he might have got a bit more game time we got to remember we we're a game short uh, as well so you know that's that's probably helped us a little bit on the injury front um you know I, I probably do tend to agree we're perhaps a back three player heavy because McConaughey and Cock and Seager haven't done a lot either um but you know the tournament could have gone a lot differently um but, you know, a third-choice scrum half would have made a lot of sense. If, if I was going to drop one of those back three, I, I probably wouldn't have brought McConaughey, just because he hasn't had that much exposure at 15's test match level. He seemed to pick up injuries relatively easy when in the, in the lead-up to the warm-up games. And because we all know that Noel has that certain special something that, that nobody else can add coming off the bench. Uh, and I think that's probably a risk worth taking. 
Um, going back very quickly to your comment, Russ, about um, when we went down to South Africa last year, our back row then was either Curry and Robshaw or Curry and Shields. And I think Curry and Underhill gives you a very different coverage there to help your 10 12 out. Yeah. That's, that's, one that's thing we also point. saw against New Zealand was that England were happy to play a passive defence on first phase off the, off the scrum or the line out because all their forwards were tied up. They were happy to give up ground um, and then get the forwards in the line out and then play an aggressive defence to gain that gain that ground back. Absolutely, and it works because that's where, yeah, because yeah. that's where that's where um, sort of New Zealand rugby in general is always successful. I mean, there was a stat I saw. I can't remember the the, the exact stat that says you know there's a a large portion of um, tries in Super Rugby from New Zealand sides come, comes off a of first phase. Massive, yeah. And if you can absorb that first phase and allow your loose forwards to then be there for the sec- second, third, fourth rucks, you're more likely to turn the ball over because you're not having people running in broken field. You you are then set up. So if you are passive in that in that situation, you're able to make you're more likely to make the tackle not create dog legs, not create holes for yourselves. And it would have to be a, you know, an absolute piece of magic or, or a genuine defensive mistake for you to, to concede off of that first phase ball. Cool. Right. So let's go for predictions then. Uh, an actual prediction. Um, Paul, let's go with you first as the guest. What um, is your score prediction? So, uh, my for, for for all the reasoning and written up, you can go to drivingmall.com. I've got my I put my predictions up there for that for this and also the the bronze final. Uh, but I've got England by seven. Phil, um, England have the best defence of the World Cup so far. They had the best defence in the pool stage. Only conceded seven against uh, New Zealand. I'm trying to quickly find out how many they conceded against Australia. Sixteen. So that makes it 36-43 they've conceded in five games. So I'm going to go England by 15 and they're going to keep South Africa to under 15. Ben? Oh, I don't want to do this. Um... <laughs> oh, I don't... No, I don't want to jinx it. I think I think that there's a lot of people who have started watching rugby in the last two weeks who keep going on social media and saying South Africa are terrible and we're going to absolutely pace them and it's a foregone conclusion. I think those people are, are wrong and I think it's going to be a really tight game and I think it's going to be reasonably low scoring. I, I'd like to think England could win, um, but I'm not I'm not making a prediction because I don't want to jinx it. Well, hang on, just, just to back that up, they, um, both England and South Africa scored 19 points in the semi-finals to win it. Yeah. So as much true. as you can say they, they, they looked horrible, they scored the same number of points. So this and this is where well, this is where my prediction comes in because I think <laughs> very um, obviously the game will come down to uh, discipline. And if England can, not necessarily their you know, uh, yellow and red card discipline, but their their infringement discipline, and if they can hold 
um, that and hold their nerve like they did in semi-finals against uh, New Zealand, I see a very, very similar result. A 19-7, a 19-10 maybe. Um, if we can stop them kicking, uh, getting silly needless penalties in an area where uh, Pollard can kick them, I think we can stop them scoring tries. On that point, Paul, yes, they scored the same number of points, but England left 23 points out there. They missed two penalties. They missed, uh, they missed a drop goal. They had two tries disallowed. One of them rightly so. One of them I don't think was right. But um, Whereas New Zealand left nothing out there. They had no shots at goal at all. And we, and we gave them the, the try technically, I suppose you could say. It was, you know, it was a bit of a wow. gift. Te- no, England, England butchered opportunities in the first half. They should have scored two, two or three more tries in that yeah. first half that they butchered. They yeah. didn't execute but, as well. But um, so yeah, my, um, and my, that New Zealand my, try shouldn't have been allowed because Kieran Reid pushes the England lifter in the face when the. But it's by the by we we won. That's all that matters. Sorry, my um, my notes just read for that try just went oh Jesus. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> <laughs> So that's that's uh, where my main mind was. Um, I just hope that the final isn't decided by a New Zealander. Yeah. Oh, Ben Skeen. Yeah. Because he has been <laughs> awful. Well, Gus has already sort of overruled him, and he he cut it. All, it seems like he knows how to deal with Ben Skeen, doesn't it? So you know. So uh, the, the, how, the officials how are we are the in a situation? How are we in a situation where there's only four TMOs for a World Cup? And three of them are... five, uh, five in there. Is there five? There's a couple of Englishmen, a couple of South African and Ben Skeen. Oh, so far, yeah. So is that right? Ben Skeen being the only one who's eligible to be TMO for the... Surely surely any ref, any any IRB-sanctioned ref can be a TMO. I, I think we've we've had this from Doug before, and it's not quite that simple, is it? I don't think. So uh, let's let's not go down the road. I don't want to get into the officials. I don't want to get into the officials as it goes because I think that you know the 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 one thing that nobody can control uh, are the officials. That, that and the so you've just got you've just got to play you've just got to play your game, and you know hope. That the you know the official sees it your way, you know when when the pivotal moments come, and I, I, that's just it. I don't think Garces is as bad as people make out. Anyway, no, nah. I, I think you usually get a fairly entertaining game with him in charge, especially because um, he lets a lot go at the breakdown, doesn't he, for both sides? I'm gonna have to shut up because I've just jinxed it again, haven't I? But <laughs> <laughs> and everyone who's saying oh, Nigel Owens should be well, Nigel Owens has got a apparently got a hamstring strain. So he's injured, which is why he's not um, not being considered, apparently. Just one thing on Nigel Owens is he clearly didn't want to disallow that second disallowed try. You could see from his face that no. he was... But he could have but he could have overruled it. Could have done, but he well, didn't. The one where it was knocked on. Yeah, where, where like 37 hands were on it. And... Yeah, it's one of them. It's one of them. We can't, can't do anything about it now, but Doesn't let's... matter now. Let's all look forward to a uh, a fantastic final. Um, I asked on Twitter today for some questions about the tournament because uh, Doug's obviously been pretty bored this week. And uh, so we got some questions that have come in from, from the listeners. But I, I kicked it off and, and I asked what the, what the tournament's been like 
from within Japan. Obviously, he's been there for the whole the whole time. He's been there on game days, on game weeks, but also travelled around to to a few places where there where there hasn't been games and on and on non rugby days. So this is what he had to say about that. So the tournament's been I don't know, a bit weird. It's been a little bit uh, when you're out here, it's a little bit disjointed. Obviously, I've I've spoken about how the games aren't really on telly and unless you've got cable, which most of the hotels don't have. So apart from being at the games, you don't really feel like there's a major tournament going on. It's been quite strange in that regard. But um, as it's sort of built, the quarterfinals, semis, and now the final, you, like there's a week between the games and sort of you, you sort of come away from the stadium after the, after the game and you don't really think about it until the next game. It's, it's quite weird. I can't really explain it. I'll probably do a better job when I get back. So it's it's interesting to to hear that, and uh, I think that you know it's been very well received, I guess, in Japan and in in the uh, the places where the games have been have been held. But it's maybe all too uh, too quickly forgotten afterwards. We'll see what happens when uh, when Doug comes back and he's able to to tell us a bit more about it. Um, Patrick Patrick Jackson, who's uh, he's on the the Long Snapper podcast every now and again, who's who seems to listen to all of our output. Hopefully, he'll make a little pie chart about this one. Um, his pie charts about Long Snapper are quite legendary, and he breaks down all of the uh, the talking points and gives it a a, a segment in a, in a pie chart for the whole episode, which is it's quite entertaining. Um, Patrick's question was, how big a factor was the typhoon uh, postponements? Would you have liked to see that handled differently or do you think the right calls were made? Look, I was out here for the hurricane and it was terrifying. Um, as it happened, Yokohama was pretty much got away with it. But um, I don't think they could have done anything else if you've seen some of the pictures that Mulboyne has... Um, put up half the country was underwater so you can't take the risk um, people's lives and get into the stadium and whatever I, you know at the end of the day rugby doesn't really matter in comparison so I think all the right calls were made there the only thing I would have liked to have done which I think would have been fun would have been if um, Canada and Namibia had played a midweek charity raising game um, not, not replay their game um, officially, so that stays as a draw, but actually played a charity game midweek to raise money for for, for victims. Blah 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 would have been good. Yeah, um, yeah. That that gets me on. To, that gets me thinking about a whole different subject about a bronze medal match, and then why not play a fifth place and a seventh place and a ninth place and player welfare and needless games? Then why can't you know New Zealand and Wales just? come and go home and you know the tournament's over does there need to be a third place playoff but i think that might be a a, a conversation for for another day but you're right you know a, char- a charity type match you know maybe a yeah maybe there could have been there could have been something that uh, the world rugby could have could have done um phil you asked doug a question that is how is it possible for gatland and checker to be uh, to look like such massive pricks when losing and hansen can actually gain respect doug had this to say it may shock you i think it's because gatland and checker are both pricks and hansen is a prick as well but just came across as less of a prick because he wasn't as much of a pricker as checker and hansen uh, gatland <laughs> 
so uh yeah um doug doug agreeing you that that all three are uh are potentially pricks and um just one slightly less prickish than than the other two um and the final question came from adam foxcroft who said uh who or what would you describe as the japanese mercedes of the tournament which i think is a, a superb question Michael Leach is a 45-year-old Tom Curry. So there we go. The Japanese Mercedes of the tournament is, is Michael Leach. Um, thanks, Doug, for that. Your uh, your dulcet tones are missed, and we'll, we'll look forward to welcoming you back soon. You sound really cheery in those uh, in those little clips. <laughs> I'm just glad he's having a lovely time. Yeah, <laughs> I'm, I'm sure he is. Um, right, let's move on very quickly. There, obviously, there was a Premiership well, round two. I guess, I guess one thing we haven't mentioned is, and I, Ben touched on it, is that yeah, England have played one less game, which will be good for their rest. And also, they've got one more day between the semi-final and the final. So they've got a seven-day turnaround as opposed to a six-one, six-day turnaround. So both of True. those will be good for um, England's freshness going into that game, especially with the the sort of level of physicality. That was in that Wales game, and you know that it would have taken a hell of a lot of them. So, you know, an extra twenty-four hours rest shouldn't shouldn't really be underestimated. Um, Premiership this weekend, Ben, your Bath team beat Exeter on on Friday night. Uh, I must admit, I did. I've not watched any Premiership rugby this weekend at all, so uh, we can't really talk too much about it. But um, you know, we've now got. 10 sides who have each won at least one game. Yeah. Well, it was one of those nights when the wreck sort of resembles a, a washing machine, uh, which I guess helps. Um, you know, it was a tight, tight old uh, Tuesday night at Stoke kind of game. Um, highlight, I think, was that fantastic tackle by Mercer. Um, but, you know, we said, didn't we, it's going to be very, very tight in the Premiership. Um, and nothing that's happened this weekend really changes that. Yeah, absolutely. The only two teams without a win so far after the first two weeks are, are Wasps and Leicester. Leicester haven't even managed a bonus point of yet. Um, both those guys are going to be, uh, have got a tough run of fixtures as well. I mean, Leicester entertained Gloucester this weekend. Wasps entertained Bath. So it's, it's going to be, you know, we've mentioned it, it's going to be the, uh, the tightest premiership, I think, in in quite a long time. I mean, you just got to look at Saracens now. Yeah, Alex Good out for four months. Or Alex Good, I keep calling him Good. Good, it's Alex Good, isn't it? Four months out with a with a pectoral injury, so uh, he started the season playing at ten. Um, I, you know, Lazowski, they've got um, the youngest Vanapola brother as well, haven't they? In there, but. You know, it's going to be difficult for for Saracens to maintain their their usual high levels with with the amount of players they've they've got unavailable. Um, Sale that, put London Irish to the sword. Nigel Vinopola. Nigel Vinopola, yeah, yeah, it's the youngest one. Yeah. Thanks. Um, uh, Harlequins beat Bristol twenty two seventeen. Gloucester beat Wasp twenty five nine. Northampton Saints have got themselves off to an absolute flyer, um, thirty five sixteen. Uh, and as we mentioned, Bath versus Exeter. Uh, there's a couple of random bits of um, news regarding the Saracens' potential salary cap and their dealings behind the scenes, which are all due to be announced after the final whistle of the World Cup final on uh, 
on Saturday, I believe, as to not distract the England team from from what's already, you know, what they've what they've got to think about in the World Cup final. I mean, you'd think that if there was no case to answer, if there was nothing going on, that they would have they would have announced it already. So we'll we'll be intrigued to see um, what's happening there. And I mean, how's that? I mean, that's great. To Hi, half the England team. Um, we're going to say something bad about your club, but we're not going to say anything until after the game, just so we don't distract you. But don't worry about it. Like, yeah, don't worry about it. Shut up and don't say anything at all until afterwards. Don't announce we're going to yeah. announce something. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 Me, me and my dad, me and your, me and your father have got something to tell you after your exams. <laughs> yeah. 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 We're going to do a round of redundancies. So we're not going to tell you who. Oh, thanks, guys. Yeah, that, that's yeah. Yeah, we're all going to work really hard this week now, aren't we? Yeah, absolutely. But off the back of that, there's a there's a very strong rumor that um, Joel Kapoku is uh, is off to Northampton Saints potentially next season. So uh, I don't know if that's anything to do with it, whether they're having to to look at restructuring. But I don't know. Um, we've been wittering on for for quite a long time now. Um, we'll end with some customary any other business, uh, Paul. Welcome back as the guest again. Uh, have you got anything non-rugby league related you want to uh, you want to talk about? Uh, um, I guess sort of rugby and mental health are my kind of the two things I just talk about or or, or think about. I'm, I'm painting at the moment, but if that's any of interest to anybody, painting a house. Anyone wants to buy a house in um, uh, in uh, Pamuor in Auckland? Uh, give me a shout because I'm trying to sell a house. That's it. Let's really. hope George is listening because that's his kind of thing, isn't it? Oh yeah, paint spot Nuki. Hey. Yeah. Um, how much are you looking for, Paul? Sorry. I might I might be in the market for a house in New Zealand. How much are you looking for? Maybe oh, take that offline. Really? Yeah. Um, <laughs> in, uh, in in New Zealand dollars. So about seventy five quid. Um, yep. Yeah. <laughs> well, oh, depends, well, depends if Brexit's going well or badly. Apparently, because the, the the bloody exchange rate goes all yeah. over the shop. Yeah. Uh, ben, any other business? No, we've been going for about three days now, haven't we? Fair enough. Phil? Uh, yeah, I, I have a very small bit of any other business. I want to know how uh, Ben's new rice escapade is coming along now that he's going to be officially Uncle Ben. <laughs> Ben's, Ben's brother Tim has finally shown that it's not all for show. And there is actually something useful going on there. So massive congratulations to uh, to Mr. Eustace, uh, the younger, and his lovely girlfriend on uh, announcing an impending mini Eustace. Oh, that's yeah. that's lovely news. It, it's very exciting. That um, I think, as the, as the only uncle, I can probably claim to be the coolest uncle as well. So uh, <laughs> that's very high on my list of priorities. Um, uh, and also buying drum kits for birthdays. Yes, yeah, definitely. Um, no, noisy toys. I, I did buy Tim a drone one year, but that didn't last very long in the Cornish winds. But um, <laughs> yeah, no, it's, it's really good news. And uh, perhaps that's another, another Eustace that can get 250 caps for Hornets. Oh, we might get another listener. Yes. Uh, be... <laughs> Tim, buy an iPhone immediately. <laughs> <laughs> Right. I, I must. Oh. I, guess I, I was. This, this, sorry, this is rugby related. Rugby related, but um, I was at uh, a game in Rotorua the other 
um, the other weekend, and uh, the actually the, the guy who's the sighting commissioner, uh, who I know we had a chat, and uh, he asked if his his, his da- asked his daughter to have a photo with me because she was a fan. I was like, what? Oh, there we go, <laughs> made it. You've, you've, you've you've got a fan that's a sighting commissioner's daughter. We haven't we haven't even got you know the slightest amount of fans. We've got some followers who uh, who tolerate us but that's a, that's you know that's positive um my any other business is a bit of a random one but i've noticed a recent spate of instagram and facebook um that are of people's pets <coughs> excuse me so they've created an instagram account specifically to take photos of their pet but called it like their pet's name and like the adventures of bunny or you know Baxter goes walkies or something. It's just like, fucking get a grip. You know, what is the matter with you that you have to fill your life by going on Instagram? You know, if you've got your own Instagram or whatever, fair enough, right? That's, that's cool. Take photos of your dog, take photos of whatever you want. It's your Instagram, but don't create an entirely new profile for your pet and then go, yo, follow me, follow, you know, Fido's adventures. It's, it's bullshit. It's, it's just utter, utter bullshit. And it pisses me off. It nearly pisses me off as much as couples who have joint Facebook accounts. That just, that really upsets me. But that's a, that's a different story. They do it with police dogs, don't they, as well? Yeah, they do it with all sorts of things. I've seen loads over the last couple of weeks. And it's just really, it really upsets me. So, uh, yeah, there you go. Um, yeah, I, I will this. block all police dog Twitter accounts or pet or Twitter accounts, by the way, if you if you follow me. So please feel free to follow follow me your pet Twitter account. And I'll block you. Yeah, good. Um, where if so if if people want to follow you and subsequently be blocked, where can uh, where where can they find you, Paul? Uh, drivingwall.com um, at drivingwall on Twitter. Um, I've got a couple of YouTube accounts as well. Um, All Black Edition, if you fancy, but you fancy being uh, exposed to lots and lots of all blacks chat then does that as well and you still got your uh hash rugby chat stuff uh almost daily as well going on your podcasts and those bits and pieces so yeah so the the hash rugby chat podcast happens um the all blacks edition is also goes out as a podcast on the same podcast feed we also do minor 10 cup stuff on there and special super rugby stuff when it's super rugby season so yeah all that if you prefer listening to to watching you can yeah you can have me come in your ears as the uh as the um, Green and Gold podcast say. Ah, oh, that's like, um, oh, what was it? Charlie FM. Charlie FM coming in your ears, yeah, from Phoenix Nights. There you go. Um, Paul, thanks very much for joining us. It's such short notice. It's been an absolute pleasure as always. Um, we will hope to speak to you again very soon. Uh, ben and Phil, I will catch up with you after the uh, the World Cup final this weekend. Yeah, hey. and can I... Can I just uh, plug my Instagram page, Ben and Pets? <laughs> you, well, you can plug whatever you want because you're no longer part of a podcast. So uh, <laughs> you, you, you go well, friend. Um, how? So, so where are you all watching the game? Ah, uh, Sports Centre. Sports Centre. Yeah. yeah well, Nuki, that's where Nuki wants to play. Get a, yeah, a, I, pint, I, a pint and a bacon butty for six pound fifty. Yeah, I was thinking of going to sports centre as well. It was. Well, I it was. was I was looking. I was looking. I was looking for somewhere to go and watch it. So maybe we should all watch it together. Yeah, get there early yeah. and get on the sofas at the front. Okay, mm. Paul. We'll see you there. <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> Where are you watching it? Obviously, it's it's in a the similar time zone, I guess. Yeah, so um, I'll be round at uh, um, a mate's house, John O'Connor's house, and we'll be doing live post-match reaction on YouTube straight after the game. I've so, I've yeah. got to be. I've got to be careful because I'm uh, I'm on Love Sport Radio at quarter past twelve, uh, doing final reaction. I was on Love Sport Radio last week as well, which is is great, and and the guys at Love Sport are, are awesome. So I've uh, I've almost become a semi regular fixture on there, which was all, which is really good. I thought you were going to say you playing golf. <laughs> no. no, we have no golf stories. Wow, that's no amazing. Hey, I don't like talking about myself. We we should have established this by now. Um, Anyway, thanks very much for listening. Paul, thanks again for joining us and uh, we will catch up with you all after the final. Uh, Good luck, England, and go well. Sports Social Podcast Network. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.